Greetings and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and we are joined. I'm joined by my co-host, Emily, as always. Hello, Emily. Hello. We're dressed foolishly again, uh, and that's on purpose because it is week two of Vacation Bible School around here. Yeah. An annual re- revival uh, for kids that... Yeah. That God has put you in charge of. So what, <laughs> what are you doing team. to us? What, <laughs> what, what is this yes. all about? We're just joining in the fun with all the kids. We have thousands of kids. Really at all of our campuses, we have partner churches even doing this. And I think God's doing a tremendous thing. And so we're getting to be a part of it. And it's incredible. It is incredible. And it's all God. We're, we're going to take mm-hmm. zero credit for it. But mm-hmm. it is fun to be um, the sail that God's spirit you know, the wind of God's spirit hits. Yeah, It's fun to, to move uh, with what God is doing. Yeah, And I don't know that any church can ever, um, you know, claim that we're always in that groove. But around here during VBS weeks, it just, God really blesses us with that groove. Yeah, it's strong for kids and teenagers, adults, all yeah. of it. There are incredible yeah. stories of people getting back in the game, trying to come back to church, find their spot yeah. and using their gifts in ways that bless all of us and help us welcome the kids really well. It's yeah, been I, great. It, it is great. And what we get to see, you know, that verse mm-hmm. comes to mind, blessed are eyes to see what we mm-hmm. get to see. And our vantage point, what, what I get to see, I just posted something on my Instagram page because I wanted people to just get a glimpse, but you know, the camera doesn't do it justice, even yeah. still, it's a yeah. video. So like 10 seconds at the most, maybe. And it, it just shows a little bit of what it looks like from my vantage point right in the middle uh, up front mm. while the kids are singing with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's I said it to the kids today at, at our closing this morning. I said, thank you for reminding us what it means to worship. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, us older people mm-hmm. who maybe as we grow into adults, we learn um, to be a little too self-conscious or... Or other people conscious instead yeah. of more God conscious, where we're, we're focused more on what are people going to think of me if I worship freely? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, freely doesn't mean if you're stoic and, you know, have 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 real kind of, um, you know, you're just not very expressive. Mm-hmm. People don't have to do I'm not, I'm We're not here judging saying, well, when you jump and dance around and clap like the kids are doing, you're more into it. Mm-hmm. But if that's who you are elsewhere and you aren't that way in front of God, mm then maybe that's not really free. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so the kids have reminded us that that's what worship is. And that's that's really cool. Among other things, they've reminded us how to invite friends to church and be evangelists. They've reminded us what it means to do mission. They've filled up just in West Des Moines alone during VBS. How many bins are filled up now? I think there's up to six right now. Yeah, they're like giant-sized bins, yes. and it's only, you know, halfway through the second week. Yeah. It's incredible. The generosity, the... the um, the the passion, mm-hmm. uh, the spirit of the whole thing. It's it's just an awesome thing from start to finish. I also love what gets lost in translation in their little minds. So last week on I think it was Friday, a mom came up as she was dropping her son off, and she's like, "He said as we were backing out of the driveway that he needed to bring a lunch." And she's holding a brown sack. She's like, "Is that true? They're doing lunches today?" And I looked at her and I said no, I'm so sorry. Like we provide a snack, but I'm not sure anything about a lunch. And then I said, wait, did he say something about just bringing food? And it was totally the donation bins. And so (laughs) they had stopped their car and ran back in. And that kid, bless his heart, he put his brown sack lunch in those donation bins. And we we pulled it aside and put that that bag to good use still. Bless his heart. But it was... It was just that is on their mind yeah. in whatever way they heard it, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and they're living it out. 
That is, they are living it out. So we're all dressed a little crazy because we didn't have time to change. Some more than others. Yeah, I'd like to yeah, point out. So Emily, introduce our guests to yes. our master's degree earning ordained pastors, apparently. Yes. Yeah, on our home staff. Yes. Well, right here we have Pastor Murph from our Grimes campus. Absolutely. Your VBS name is what? Uh, Billy Bob the Builder. Okay. <laughs> Billy Bob. That's great. Next to him, we have Pastor Ben, who is? I'm Jimmy Ray Buffet, y'all. Woo! It's Father <laughs> the Frog here to be here, y'all. I'm happier than a, a dead pig in the sunshine. woo Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Headphones. Yeah, we we might need you to go back to Pastor Ben and Pastor Murph <laughs> right. for the rest of this podcast. So here comes, yeah, costume. The transition. If the wigs and the sunglasses are coming off, I guess, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into some deep stuff. But some of the deepest stuff is to be reminded that we're called to be fools for Christ, yeah, and and do whatever it takes for the sake of getting the gospel out there. The, and the beard is real. A lot of kids were asking, like, is, <laughs> what, what of off. all the. Of all the hair on your head, like, what's real and what's fake? I'm like, I don't even know anymore. I'm going to go with Chewbacca for Halloween because I got, I got that all set up. That's oh, wow. good. That's good. They're fire. And Murph, your bandana, but I didn't notice it till now because it blends in. It's yeah. cam- camo. So yeah. I couldn't even see just it. Just like I did, a face I, floating yeah. in the sky, right? Just did, you're, you're, I thought your head was disappearing yeah. or something, but all right. Well. You're now coordinated with our Taste of Hope shirt. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, putting the word out. Yeah. Taste of Hope is really a part of VBS. Mm-hmm. It's the end of week two of Vacation Bible School. And different campuses have different uh, kind of wrap-ups to to VBS, but here in West Des Moines, we call it Taste of Hope. And it's this Saturday from three till, I don't eight. know, eight. And we have a five o'clock service right in the middle of that. It's come as you are. Um, so yeah, you come and get a taste yeah. of the good things God's doing at Lutheran Church of Hope. The VBS kids will be there to sing, yep. and yeah, it's going to be a great party. Yeah, another epic one. Yeah, a Jesus, as we say, there's no party like a Jesus Absolutely. party. Absolutely. Amen. There's also Amen. no book like this book, yeah. the Holy mm-hmm. Bible, and that's why people are tuning in. So thanks for bearing with us. But what we're doing here really is that book come to life. We, we're saying we want to read the whole Holy Bible this year together as a church family. The podcast is here to try to help uh, and strengthen people, clarify things for them as they go. And as we do that, we want to um, to point them to this truth that sets them free. So we are currently in Second Corinthians in the New Testament readings, and we're in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament readings. So get your Bibles out, uh, faithful podcast listeners and viewers, and we are going to dive in and, and try to serve as your tour guides to help you get more out of these readings this week. Yeah, and we've got some questions. Right Anybody got any questions? <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Almost forgot about Ted. I know. He's always there. He is. He (laughs) he lingers. (laughs) Okay. How can our podcast listeners get even more out of the reading of the Psalms? Pick any Psalm between 76 and 100 as an example and walk us through how to read and understand it. Oh, I love this. Uh, The Psalms are just so good and they're so deep and it takes us through all the emotions uh, mm-hmm. that we can have in our relationship with God and each other. But uh, I picked uh, Psalm 85, and this one actually starts out, it says it's a psalm of the descendants of Korah, and just a brief 
history on that. Um, so when the Israelites are uh, out in the wilderness, uh, Korah and his descendants were kind of, uh, they're Levites, and they're kind of vying for uh, a power play here. They want to take the high priesthood from Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, and uh, there are consequences to that. God was not happy with what they were trying to do. And Korah ends up getting uh, swallowed up by the earth, and uh, some of the his followers are uh, struck down by fire from the sky. Uh, but we actually get this word in Numbers 26.10 that says uh, that, um, that the descendants of Korah did not all die that day. And so now we have people that have been through this horrific event. They have uh, seen the sort of the error of their way, seen this redemption story. They've come, they, they have life, and they've seen God's grace and mercy firsthand. Mm-hmm. And now they're writing about this hope for the future. And one of the things they say um, in this is that truth springs up from the earth. And so when you think about Korah, who has gone down into the earth, mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. lies and deceit have gone down into the earth, and it's truth that actually wells up, uh, that God brings into that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next thing that uh, says is um, that God is going to pour down blessings where he was pouring down fire on the rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, now mm-hmm. there's this hope that God is going to be pouring down blessings. And so one of the things that's really helpful when you're reading the Psalms is also knowing the context of the particular Psalm, uh, whether it's a Psalm of David mm-hmm. or in this case, Psalm mm-hmm. of Korah, Psalm uh, of any of the other writers, it's just, uh, it really helps to like dig into what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. Cause it's a song too. And so songs are about our emotions. It's about what we're feeling and experiencing. That's mm-hmm. good. Murph. I, Psalms really are about emotion in a lot of ways and not all of them. Uh, some of them are history. Some of them are, there's really deep theology there, but the pastor at the church where I grew up, pastor Dan Hansen said, there's glad Psalms, mad Psalms and sad Psalms. And sometimes it's just Helps just to think about it that way and then ask yourself, okay, which one is this? And that helps me approach it. And uh, one of my favorite books is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says, the Psalms uh, teach us to pray like Jesus prays. This is the prayer book of Christ is what he says. And so when you take Psalms that pray something really drastic, there are Psalms that pray things that I would never think to pray. Mm-hmm. And I think what Bonhoeffer is teaching us, and it's an important lesson for us, you can bring every last bit of who you are. If you're doubting, bring it to God. If you are struggling, bring it to God. If you are mad at God, bring it to God. The Psalms say that. Psalm 86 says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. It can be really kind of direct with God. And, and this psalm is one of those psalms kind of of lament where it talks about how uh, this person is praying as a prayer of, of David. Uh, he says, listen closely, hear, hear my urgent cry. And this psalm transforms, and it, it talks about uh, God in this way, but then he, you see how it's moved to praise. With all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord. I will give glory to your name forever. And and with these lament psalms, the way that my professor Simone put it is lament is shaking your fist at God with one hand and holding on to God with the other hand. I'm going to hold on to God, yeah. but I'm also going to shake my fist at God because that's really in there. If it's really in there, I don't need to hold it in. If I express my feelings to God, God will meet me in those feelings, whatever they are. And and when we see these Psalms giving us permission to that, I think that's a really good corrective to a lot of the ways that some of us express our Christianity to where we're like, 
oh, I shouldn't think that thought or mm-hmm. I shouldn't mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel that feeling. Like you can't do that with your feelings. Sure. The Psalms are an example to us. The Psalms are us. an example to us. Like mm-hmm. the if you want to find the most one of the most extreme examples, you just have to go two more. It's Psalm eighty eight. The the end of the Psalm is like, My darkness is my only friend. Like it's just really, really just straight up depressing. Sounds like Simon and Garfunkel. It does yeah, like Hello, it, it's... darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Maybe that's where they got it. I, I I, I'll guarantee you, it's where they got <laughs> it. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think the Psalms are really beautiful because they teach me to pray what I wouldn't pray because I don't think I should. They teach me to pray happy when I'm not happy, and they teach me to pray sad when I'm not sad. And in that way, I'm encouraged to think of the whole body of Christ praying together. Mm-hmm. Sure. Man, that's good. And I, li- I like the way you both talk about that, how important context is, Murph, mm-hmm. Pastor Murph and Pastor Ben, how, inco- how important it is for us to know what kind of psalm we're reading, uh, because that brings it to life uh, in a whole new way. And, and you know, sad, sad songs, sad psalms, psalms mean songs too, or, or poems, sad songs, mad songs, happy songs. Um, another way to put it is there's laments and praise psalms. It's just important to pay mm-hmm. attention to that. <clears throat> but there's another layer to that, too, and I think you alluded to it where you say you kind of have your anger in one hand and you hold on to mm-hmm. God in the other. Uh, in the lament psalms, even, the sad songs and the the mad songs, mm-hmm. you sense something deeper than I'm just mad mm-hmm. or yeah. I'm just sad. And usually when all of us are sad or mad, yeah. even for righteous reasons, for good reasons, mm-hmm. Or because we're on the receiving end of something that was done to us that we really didn't bring on ourselves. I mean, sometimes bad things happen because we bring it on. But when we're on the kind of victim side of that, it's complicated, isn't it? And so so it's not just I'm sad and I'm mad. It's I also know, though, that there's something more going Mm -hmm. on here, that there's a bigger story being written than just me being mad in this moment. And that's faith. Yeah, Mm. no. and, And that's the difference between lament and complaining. They can almost sound the exact same. It's good. But when you complain, you're just airing. It's like just shaking your fist and not holding on. But if you're lamenting, you're saying, I'm, I'm going to keep asking until you fulfill your promises. There's a, yeah. a psalm that's like that. It's like, did you really change the way you act in the world? I, I, I don't remember. It's one of the ones we're reading this week. Um, did, did you, does your hand still work in the world in the way I, that you promised? It's a very honest question. Yeah. You know, and... And the if you ask that question, you're like, oh, I shouldn't ask that as a Christian. You're like, no, it's in the Bible. You can ask that. I like talking about the context of it all, because I think recently in one of our podcasts, we talked about how we can all be encouraging and uplifting. But when you're doing that for somebody who has been through or you're receiving yeah. that from somebody who's been through yeah. something similar. Yes. What these are isn't going to be quite similar, but you're going to recognize that these people have been through things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the power of their words really are an example to us in a different way if you can see or understand some of that context. When you read the Psalms with an open mind and an open heart, you will find yourself saying, I can relate. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way, you won't just say, oh, that reminds me of that person going through something like Mm -hmm. you'll say, I can relate. That's how Mm -hmm. I was feeling last week or this week or whatever it might be. Um, I'll just add one more since we're all picking a psalm from our readings this week, which were Psalms 76 to 100. As we get toward the end of that run, up toward the the um, Psalm 100, starting around Psalm 95 become these, these calls for us to sing a new song. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, two or three of those psalms from 95 to 100 say, sing to the Lord a new song. And in VBS, we have witnessed that. Mm-hmm. There are new songs being literal, <laughs> new songs yeah. being sung. And... It really begs the question, 
why? What what is it about worship? What is it about uh, weekend worship, Sunday worship, VBS worship? What is it about it that sometimes just hits just right? Mm. And you know, the the music part of it is really what these psalms are getting at. It's it's make some music to God. And then it goes on to say, you know, bring out everything you got. Bring out the sh- shout as loud as you want, clap as loud as you want, dance with everything you've got, smash the cymbals, you know, uh, make a loud noise to God too. Mm-hmm. But it's deeper than just how we do it. It's why we do it that I want to get to. Why do we praise God? Does that is it because God's I don't know needs it is arrogant? Well, not so much. I, I think it's natural. It makes sense mm-hmm. that God has made everything for us, given us everything we need, given us life, given us salvation, given us guidance through his Holy Spirit, given us all these things. So to praise him just makes sense. Mm -hmm. If somebody saves my life and I just sort of dust it off and say, Mm -hmm. eh, meh, you know, uh, whatever, (laughs) hey, I I deserve that or no, I didn't deserve it. That was a gift. Mm. Well, God has saved our lives, new and eternal. And so... Mm. It's natural. It just, mm-hmm. it just, it's, as the cool kids say on social media, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Here's some things that just make sense. That if God made you and loves you and saved you and guides you and inspires you and leads you and holds you right. in, in the difficult times, then you got to praise him because mm-hmm. it's not natural to hold that in. Yeah. That's part of it. But there's another part of it too. It's, it's not just that it's even more that we praise God because it puts us in the right place. Then it's not yeah. just, Oh, well it makes sense. Yeah. It's when we do praise God, then we kind of hit the lane we're supposed to be in. It's a holy experience, which is a good reminder. I'm not God, but there is a God. Mm-hmm. And this God in the long run, if we take the long view and look at the whole story again, even though I might be going through the valley, the shadow of death right now, I know that's not the way my story ends. These songs, worship, what we do on Sundays, what we're doing at VBS this week reminds us of who God is and who we are. And as an added bonus, we're worshiping in community with sisters and brothers in Christ. And that bonds us together. So I love the worship Psalms. I love the Psalms that remind us. Hey, sing. And it's not just how, but it's why. As a woodworker, there's nothing a saw loves more than to cut. And a dr- it's chisel, made for it. You know, that's what it's for. A hammer loves to hit a nail. Yeah. You know, and you see this in Psalm 98 where it says, uh, let the rivers clap their hands mm-hmm. in glee. Let the hills sing a song of joy. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. Like... The all of creation is is a symphony of praise, mm-hmm. and we get to articulate that praise and add the lyric as the way that I think about it. And when you think of the Psalms and the praise Psalms, it's what you were made to do. It's not yeah. just like I should praise because God has been so gracious. That's true. But there's nothing that comes more naturally than to me than to praise God. We were created yeah. to praise. We need to move on to the New Testament questions. Yeah. Second Corinthians. What is Paul's point in writing about, quote, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience? What is it and how can it help a church? So this is from Second uh, Corinthians 7, verse 10. Um, and it sounds really weird to us. Like, okay, doesn't God want me to have good things? Like... Yes, Jesus says God gives good things to his children. So so what's this deal with sorrow and the sorrow that God gives? Yeah, it's in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. 
I'm glad I sent it, Paul says, this letter, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to sure. repent and change your ways. Yeah. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, sure. so you were not harmed by us in any way. Right. So then instead, it's the same thing. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, right? So mm-hmm. in those verses in context of each other, I think about it like this, like, and Paul uses this metaphor in this part of Second Corinthians of himself like a father, you know, um, and God like a father is absolutely the way that we talk about God. And I think about a kid that is running in, into the street and the father's, you know, using the voice that they would never, ever use with such urgency and anger even sounding to the child mm-hmm. that's honestly scary like that that scares the kid it hurt, it hurts the kid but it doesn't hurt nearly as much as the being hit by a car mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so what what's really fascinating to to the, about this verse to me about this section to me is it's we want to choose between grief and not grief and and the um the the word sorrow here in in Greek can also mean grief mm-hmm. he said the the grief of god produces repentance that leads to salvation, but the grief of the world leads to death. It's like, it's like I'm not given a choice between life and death or, or grief and no grief. I'm given a choice between two kinds of grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, we're talking about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and in that um, it leads to two different things. Mm-hmm. So uh, godly sorrow is going to lead us to repentance. It's that uh, just that reminder, oh, my goodness, I'm running away from God right now. I'm not heading in the right direction. I need to turn back to him. Mm-hmm. I see him as my salvation. So it's not, I'm running from something in fear. I'm running towards someone in hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the repentance that that is brought out by godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to remorse, which is great, but that can leave us in a place of being stuck. And if we're just stuck in that remorse, we, we, can, uh, we can get bitter in that. We don't really get better. We get a lot better. And in that, we have to really, really focus on the why. And and if the why is I'm just frustrated with what people are doing or I'm frustrated with myself, I'm missing the bigger point. And the bigger point is I need to return to God because God is the one who's going to be the source for me in all of it. Mm. That's, that's really a good way to put it. Uh, the way I've heard it too, and I like to share it this way, is there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. Mm-hmm. And so there's good sorrow and bad sorrow. The, the bad mm-hmm. sorrow, the, ba- the bad guilt would be the one that's just shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that puts distance between people and God. The one that, that pushes people away from the light of God's love. Good guilt does the opposite. Good guilt sends um, a, a positive, ultimate, ultimately positive message that the way you're moving is actually, it might look like it's light, but it's darkness. So change the way you think, which is the literal definition of, of repentance. And we got to be gentle here mm-hmm. because right away the, the temptation, and maybe this is the part that we should, we should be challenged on. The temptation is to think of them mm-hmm. instead yeah, of to think of me mm-hmm. and say, where am I too confident mm-hmm. in my morality? Where am I too confident in my behavior? Where am I too confident in my my spirituality, my religious expression, my theology, my understanding of things? In those places, that's where we're in the most dangerous territories because it's my confidence instead of the confidence of God. Uh, and so, humbly, good guilt 
challenges me and turns me around and gets me to change the way I think about something. And I can think of several times in my life where I changed the way I thought about some big things. Mm-hmm. And I thought what I was doing was faithful because religiously I'd been taught mm-hmm. that that was the faithful thing to do. But sometimes there's a difference between religious teaching and scriptural teaching. Mm-hmm. And so what I got challenged on was by people who loved and cared enough about me to um, share a word with me, to speak a truth in love. And that leads to sorrow. I was like, oh, this kind of this kind of messes with me and makes me upset. Mm-hmm. But it's a good sorrow. It's a good guilt because it ultimately um, brought me closer to a truth that could set me free. So, yeah. That's good. What's the upside of generous giving and what responsibility does a church have for the way we are handling generous offerings? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now Paul hits really hard something he's been kind of talking about all along the way in different ways, it's more subtly, but now he's going direct. Mm. And he's saying, look, it's time for an offering. Uh, it, it's time to give. Part of Christianity is giving, and it's, it is giving your time, it is giving your talents, but it's also giving out of your resources, your money, your, what, what you have that allows you to buy and purchase and you know pay bills and do all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So what, what, what are you doing with that money? And Paul's just putting it right out there. And he, he does it in a way that I think is ultimately very freeing for um, anybody who wants to read this, this, this word of God for what it actually says. So there's a huge upside to giving generously. There's a huge downside to being stingy. You'll have more money, maybe, for a while, Although take that down the road and that might turn into something different because you can be so stingy, you stop really seeing the opportunities that are before you. Mm-hmm. I, I've got really close friends from where I grew up in Chicago. I've got a friend who um, my age, my high school class and everything, he grew up and I, good friend, good guy, not a bad guy, but he was taught from the very beginning, if you have money, you hold onto it, you hold tight. Mm-hmm. But when you hold your money that tight, it really holds you. Mm-hmm. And what Paul's getting at here is let me set you free from that. The upside generosity is freedom. The upside to generosity is joy. Uh, the upside to generosity is that now you become a part of something bigger than you. Uh, my friend back in Chicago who holds on to it so tight, he won't even go on vacation. Wow. He, ha- he could travel the world. He, mm-hmm. could go, he could go anywhere, anytime he wants. But he won't do it because he's afraid people will know he's gone. And they'll rob his house and, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll, they'll prey on him. And, and so that, that they'll, and he's, he's got his security system. He's got the, but he just, he's like, no, nah, I, I got to protect, you know, I got to, mm-hmm. I got to hold on to what I got. And that's not freedom. There's yeah. no freedom. Now your money's got you. You don't hold your money. Now mm-hmm. your money's holding you. So I just gently speak that truth and love to all of our listeners. Do you hold your money or does your money hold you? And this could be for people who are rich. This could be for people who are poor. You can be just as obsessed with money if you're poor as if you're rich or middle class or anywhere in between. Uh, It's a more tempting thing maybe somewhere along the way on that spectrum. But all of us can make an idol out of money. And that's why the Bible has so much teaching about money. Uh, More to say on this, but I want to hear what you guys are are catching on. No, so uh, when you, um, you know, um, look at chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians... Uh, one of the things that you don't notice in English that you can see if you look at the right. Greek is the operative word here is grace. Like there's mm-hmm. uh, uh, this root 
uh, charis, which is the same root where kara comes from. So when he talks about joy in mm-hmm. giving, mm-hmm. it's it's related to that. When when he talks about giving thanks, uh, he uses the word for grace. When he talks about generosity, it comes from the root word for grace in different places in this text. Like that word keeps coming up again and again. And I think he's doing it completely on purpose. Yeah. Like he wants to see, he wants us to see that we've received the graciousness of God. Therefore, we can be gracious with others. And, and that, that's what the context of this is. They're not giving, you know, uh, for any other reason other than there are other people that are in need. And he says, you're not in need now in the future. You might be, but uh, when we think about giving this way, like, it's not that God needs our stuff. It's God gave us everything that we have. And like you said, so well with the story of your friend, our stuff can hold us but also the reason why God gave us our stuff, God gave us what he gave us so that we could bless others. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you realize that every blessing you have is so that you can bless somebody else. Well, it can make a huge difference. It changes the way that you live and it changes your posture with the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. It mm-hmm. does. I think that we can get in the, the cynical mindset uh, a lot of times with money and things like that and giving in a church. And we can say, all right, well, I've got the checkbook. What do you need? Is it is it ten percent of gross? Is it ten percent of net? Is it like what is it that you? It's a lot of teaching out there on tithing, right, on yeah. tithing, right? And so, what is it that that you're wanting me to give? And and I think what Paul is trying to get at here is these people are giving of their joy and their free freedom, and they're giving of their free will um, to do so, and and they're doing it because they see the mission, they see what um, Paul is trying to accomplish in this, and that's what he's really getting at is to give with a generous heart. And not to not to look at it as some like checklist item to do, but to actually give out of your own heart. And and he says in that that um, that it is a blessing. It is something that uh, that uh, you've said it many times around here, Pastor Mike, is that you've never seen someone who's a former tither, no. right? Uh, and, and mm-hmm. it's because there's a joy that comes from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, oh. it, it really is a blessing. Yeah, you alluded to some questions. I want to tack one on then. Mm-hmm. What does 2 Corinthians 9 verses 5 through 7 teach us about how to decide how much to give mm-hmm. the church? Yeah, so this, these two questions really do go together uh, because in 820, 2 Corinthians 820, Paul says, you know, the church has a responsibility here too. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 5, the question about how much should we give, a lot of times people are like, well, tell me. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people are like, don't tell me. I don't want you to <laughs> stay out of my business because my money holds me. But mm-hmm. but other people are like, well, why don't you just tell us how much to give? That mm-hmm. That's what we just want to know. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll tell you. Pray about it. Mm-hmm. Ask God about it. That's the church's responsibility. Yes. Because in 820, 2 Corinthians 8.20, it says, Paul writes, we're traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift, this offering. We're, nobody's taking your money individually. We're, we're doing it all together. We have this policy here at our church. I'm sure a lot of churches have this policy. No one individual carries the offerings mm-hmm. around that are collected. It's mm-hmm. always in a group. Mm-hmm. It's always together. I have a personal policy in this church. It's just me. I'm not trying to be like, you know, holier than thou on this. But I think it's, I think it's really important that people know where my heart is on this. People will sometimes come up to me in the lobby after a service. Hey, here's my offering. I forgot to put it in mm-hmm. the thing. I'm like... I'm sorry. I don't say I'm sorry. Actually, I say I just have a policy. I don't touch money Amen. in this church. I will not take your money because I don't want anyone to ever be able to say, oh, well, he's a little bit, you know, slick with the money. There, mm. there, there's something going on there. When I started knocking on doors, 
when Lutheran Church of Hope was just starting out and I was going door to door inviting mm -hmm. people who didn't have a church to come to church, the number one complaint I heard about why I have zero interest in any church from neighbors right here mm -hmm. in West Des Moines, Iowa, was all the church really wants is my money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <laughs> like, don't slam the door. Let me explain to you what you, <laughs> you know, really, actually, there's this thing. I tried to do this whole thing and got nowhere. But then I started realizing the Bible teaches the church we have a responsibility too. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you must give as you make up your own mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So there's that joy again. Mm -hmm. What's God's goal for our offerings? That they would be cheerful, mm -hmm. that they would produce joy. It's, it's like when our kids were growing up, they loved getting Christmas presents, birthday presents, whatever. But I remember the Christmas where our oldest son, John, discovered giving gifts is mm -hmm. almost more fun, maybe more fun mm -hmm. than getting gifts. And he wasn't that old. Mm -hmm. And so he went to all the trouble of wrapping them in his own way and, you know, put, putting them yeah. together. And they were kind of funny, uh, like to the point of being hilarious in some cases. <laughs> he gives his brother a, a picture of a of a duck hunting thing, and we don't duck hunt in our family. <laughs> so they, it was completely irrelevant, but he just laughed and laughed and laughed. That was the funniest thing ever, um, you know, because it was an all-out duck hunting T-shirt. You know, it's like, what are we going to do with this? Future BBS costume. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. We can find a use around yeah. here somehow. But the joy of giving. Yeah. We all know it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully mm -hmm. that moment where, and what is, what produces the joy? I love this person mm -hmm. that I'm giving this gift to, and it just makes me feel so alive and free mm -hmm. and filled with cheer. God loves a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because then we hit our stride. Then, then, yeah. then we're going to experience the fullness of life. And it isn't to hold on and to sure. consume. It's to give. Yeah. And that's, that's, again, the hammer getting to hit the nail. Like, you were made to give. You were made to give. You weren't made to take. You were made to give. Mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking about this once. Uh, we had a, uh, a couch we had to move for one of my friends that was in seminary. They were changing apartments. And you're in this space where yeah. you have this hall, this stairway that like curves around. <sighs> and when you think about giving, think about this. Like if, if you're helping friends lift a couch or a piano or any other thing, and you're thinking, wow, this is really light. And everybody else around you is like sweating it. And they're like, <laughs> and you're like, this isn't so bad. It's probably because you're not lifting. Yeah. Right. If, and, and when you see this, like in eight verse four and, and elsewhere, you see like, Okay, they gave in a way that they felt the pressure. Yeah. Right? If if you if you if you are lifting something and you don't you're not feeling the pressure, are you really are you really lifting? Mm. Right? Mm. Give in a way that you feel the pressure and then you'll understand the real depth of it. You know, that's such a good analogy and if because you love your friend, you're going to be there helping and pulling your weight. Because our son loved his brother in a brotherly, you know, kind yeah. of fighty sort of way, <laughs> he gave him this gift and it was joy for sure. him. Well, what has God done for us and how much do we yeah. love God? Yeah. Our giving should reflect that. It should. And we, we should give for his causes. We, we mm. should give for his mission. We should give to further his kingdom. We should give to, to strengthen his church, the body of Christ in the world today. But not do it because we gotta. We do it because we get a. That's what Paul's getting at. The church has a responsibility not to use guilt, not to use compulsion, but to just teach what the Bible teaches on these things. So around hope, we always say, how do you decide how much to give? Pray about it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Ask God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to, what do you want mm-hmm. me to give? What do you want to do through my giving of money to further the mission of this church? Mm-hmm. Whatever God lays in your heart, we'll mm-hmm. live with that. Because yeah. if you aren't spiritually prepared to give more, we don't want you to. Uh, but if you're spiritually prepared to give more and you aren't, then God's going to push you and stretch you and strengthen you to those who much is given, much is expected in return. There's three stages of giving amongst Christians. One is the the the, the church person who says, oh, the church has to pay the bills. I got to do my part, I guess. Yeah. The second level is more mature. It's the, well, maybe if I help God out. You know, God will help me. I scratch God's back. God will scratch mine. You know, I, I get a little bonus at work if I give a little here. And there's people who play that game. And I think it's a little dangerous and not necessarily biblical. I get what they're saying. And there's there's passages that allude to try, test God out on this. You know, see see what God will do with your gifts. So see if he won't bless. You give a little faithfully, God will give you more. That is definitely there. I'm not going to unteach that. But the main point I want to make, and then we need to move on, is stage three giving, the deepest giving. This is the freedom giving. This is the cheerful giving. I give because it's who I am. Mm-hmm. I, that's it. It's just, it's just because God made me to be a giver, and he's made us all to be givers. And if we don't discover that, we're not going to know the joy. We're, we're not, we're, and, and it will actually mature us spiritually mm-hmm. to do this physically, to actually give the money. It's going to strengthen our faith, and that's the added bonus. What a true gift from God that there is a joy. Like you talk about it. I'm like, it's awesome. It is so so great. But that is not worldly. Like that is opposite. And so, but it is this gift of God that is, he's telling us about. That's right. We have, we have the wrong attitude and approach on it, which is if I, if I let go of this money, it won't, you know, I'm going to lose everything. Actually, if you let go of it, if God's called you Mm -hmm. to, if, if, if that's the gift he wants you to give, It'll actually set you free and you'll find let you it's you won't let go of anything. Mm-hmm. You'll get everything from doing it. Yeah. Okay. What are God's mighty weapons to knock down the strongholds that Paul refers to in Second Corinthians ten four? Yeah, it's a great question. He says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. And he doesn't say it um, just specifically here, but if you look all over uh, the totality of these two letters to the Corinthians and also in Romans, uh, it's pretty clear he is pointing to the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching the gospel. He he'll say um, in First Corinthians one twenty one um, that God has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. He'll mm-hmm. say in one twenty four that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, in Second uh, Corinthians two four to five. Uh, He says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Um, It is God's power at work, and that's what he says in Romans as well. You nailed it, Murph. We're going to leave it at that and move on to the next one. That was great. Well done. How can Bible readers make sense of the boasting Paul does in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11? Isn't pride sinful? What you have to take in is the context, and right, and, and what you talk about with Paul says that it's the foolish things that humble the things that are wise. And, and right here in uh, 10 verse 4, he talks about we need to take every thought captive and, and be mm-hmm. careful of the proud things that we think. Mm. You know, and and so when you take all this in context, right? He's trying to assert his uh, authority to a church that doesn't want to acknowledge his authority. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to he's trying to say, look at my resume. I'm the one that started this church, um, 
And that's a really important part of this, too. I think there's a lot of things in here that are pretty firmly... He's got his tongue put in his cheek, and and you know he calls him, oh look out the super apostles, <laughs> and you know he's kind of teasing him a little bit. He's he's, he's using sarcasm. He's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. being sarcastic, and, and uh, so I think when you read about his things about boasting, if you read it with that kind of a lens, it mm-hmm. makes more mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Plus, Paul is human, infallible, and sinful, is, and you know Paul isn't Jesus. He's no, he's not perfect. He's, he's not perfect, and he doesn't claim to be. <laughs> Romans seven. He's very open and confessional to everybody in the church about that. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but God's word still is. Yeah. And that's 100%. where I would just challenge the, the Bible readers who get nervous about this. Like, well, if Paul, if Paul's doing anything that isn't completely a hundred percent perfect and pure and doesn't have any sort of ulterior motive to it, I agree a hundred percent with you, Ben. I think if you read it for the way it's actually written and what Paul's getting at, he isn't bragging, but he's, kind of mastered the humble break, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, over on the other yeah. side. He's, That's true. He, he's, he's in his humility. He is also listing. Here's all the yeah. stuff I do. So he's fallible. He's not Jesus. He has some flaws, but God can use that, which is mm-hmm. going to come up in our last question in just a few minutes. So yeah. stay tuned for the cliffhanger. Sure. Next question is, what is the third heaven that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 12, 2? Yeah, this is pretty easy uh, is to answer because in that world, in the ancient world, the definition of heavens, even still today to some degree, has different kind of uh, interpretation, not interpretations, it has different levels to it, if you will. So first heaven would be the sky. We say we look up in the heavens, we just mean we're looking up in the sky or the clouds or whatever it means. Second heaven in the ancient world would be outer space. You know, they see the stars at night. They see there's something beyond here and, and even beyond the sky and the clouds. And then it kind of gives way to something deeper. It's out there. And then third heaven is where God dwells. It is what we typically speak of as heaven in the church mm-hmm. is, is the place. It's not like there's three levels of heaven where, you know, God's got level A and B and mm-hmm. C. And so there's, you know, like baseball, you go double A, triple A, and then the majors. And if you're a really <laughs> super good Christian, you get to the third heaven. And if you aren't, you get somewhere over here. Although there are some heresies out there that teach that. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. It's not biblical. Mm-hmm. That's not what Paul's getting at by third heaven. He's saying, uh, no, I was taken in this vision and or, that's the NLT translation, the original Greek and some other translations make it sound like he's saying, I have a friend, you know, I know somebody who was taken up to this third heaven, meaning taking to the, taken to heaven where God dwells would be the way we would understand it in, you know, common vernacular today. Yeah. It's the throne room of God. And you see this in the temple where there is a courtyard that, and then there's a courtyard within the courtyard, and then there's a holy of yep. holies. And he's alluding to that. And you know that he has that in his mind. And there are certain things that the Greek readers in First Corinthians or in the, the city of Corinth would have in their mind. Uh, but You know that he has that in his mind. Yeah, but now it's our listeners do, ex- too, yes, yes, too which is another reason why to tune into this podcast every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you think of the, those things and you think of the temple being a model of heaven, like that makes sense. And and then you see the richness of the, the veil being torn and us being in the presence of God mm-hmm. and God make you know, Paul writing about how we are the temple. Yeah. And so as Paul's writing this, there's nothing controversial about it. No. There's nothing that's going to lead to heresy. They're all like, oh, that's just like the temple, which was designed based on our understanding of eternity and heaven with God. And that's the Holy of Holies and the, mm-hmm. the inner sanctuary and where only one priest once a year can go in and make atonement for everybody. So it's not like it's full access there. And Paul's saying either I or my friend had full access 
to God in this vision in yeah. this third heaven, this place where God dwells. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last question. What stands out for you this time around as you read the familiar Bible verse, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. Start with you, Murph. All right. Uh, so as I watch this and I, I don't want to like try to make an absolute comparison between Paul and Jesus here. I think that would be taking it too far, but I think it's really interesting that we see that uh, Paul has asked three times to have this thorn taken away from uh, his side, that he is, um, he's really just praying over and over for God to do this. And it reminds me of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and mm. that, that, you know, will you take this cup from me if it is your will? And in both cases, they get the answer of no, but it's because the Father's grace is sufficient for them, mm. is that it's that uh, the power is made perfect in our weakness, that, that even with what's about to happen, even with what I'm experiencing, it's God's power that's going to show through that. And when we actually live into our weakness so that people actually see God rather than us, Mm -hmm. then that's what's going to make it more powerful and make the gospel message more powerful. Hmm. This is the big plot twist with Paul talking and boasting, Mm -hmm. you know, and humble bragging through chapter 10 and chapter Mm -hmm. 11. And he's like, but my grace is sufficient for you. My, My power is made perfect in weakness. Like, you can boast all you want. It makes no difference. Right, we 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 haven't made for ourselves these wonderful weapons against the things of this world, but here's the weapon that we have: we preach Christ crucified, yeah. and and it's just this this really subversion of all the things they think are important. Yeah, and this is just the the one two punch of it. Mm-hmm. What stands out for me this time around? Because this this is one of those verses a lot of people memorize. Mm-hmm. You know, they cut it out, put it on their mirror. You know, mm-hmm. their fridge, whatever. It's just so they remember it over. My power, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's poetic. It's glorious. It's inspirational. It lifts us up. Mm-hmm. It reminds us we don't have to be perfect. All really, really positive and good things. But what stands out for me this time, when I'm as a, as we're reading through the whole Holy Bible together as a church this year, when I come across the most familiar verses, I'm trying to get in the habit of digging into the original language. Mm-hmm. So let me just take our listeners through that real quick. So the Greek word for sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you. You already talked about the Greek word for grace earlier, Ben, so I won't do that one. But sufficient, the Greek word is archaeo, uh, which you could say means sufficient, but it's it's kind of bigger than that. It's sort of what happens when you're really hungry mm-hmm. and then you eat a really satisfying meal. Mm-hmm. I don't just mean a big meal, a satisfying meal, a meal where when you're done, you're like, I may not need to eat again for another week. <laughs> you know, that that's our kale. Yeah. Now listen to it again. My grace is sufficient like that. My grace yeah. is our kale for you. It you, fills you, you up. It's all you need. And it's really all you want to. Yeah. And then the, the Greek word for power, for my power, this is cool. The, the Greek word for power is dynamis, dynamite. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's in dynamite in its original Greek, dynamis means a miraculous power. It's not mm-hmm. just a physical, you know, explosion, but it's God's divine power in it. So my grace is sufficient for you. My pow- that kind of power It's very physical. It's very real world. Uh, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Asthenia is the Greek word for, for weakness. Or it's a physical weakness. It also means an illness or a disease. Mm-hmm. I got a cold last week from the VBS kids. My voice is still down a notch, <laughs> you know, a little bit uh, in its tenor. It's, it, it, man, did it knock me out for 24 hours. And I was just like, uh, I'm going to die now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it's in those moments that things get perfect. That can't, that's what God's saying. So physically my dynamite, God's saying my power 
is more than enough for you. It'll satisfy your hunger for everything in life. And it's not just when you're strong, it's when you're weak. And that's what's perfect. And the Greek word for perfect is teleo, which means it, the thing reaches its destination. You arrive. It really is truly mission accomplished. When I got ordained, my dad preached. My dad is a pastor, was a pastor before he died. And he maybe he's still a pastor in heaven. Who knows? But um, he, he was preaching the sermon, and he told a story about how when he was working for the American Lutheran Church, he was invited down to speak at the women's gathering for the state of Iowa in the Lutheran Church. And he brought me because he wanted me to see what it's like to, you know, I was like second or third grade and he got up there and there's like thousands of women, you know, filling up this, this gymnasium. I don't know where it was. Uh, must've been in Des Moines here somewhere, but this big auditorium, maybe it was vets. It had to be vets. I guess when I think about it, old vets auditorium Place is packed. My dad gets up to speak and he looks over at me and I didn't know. I was like, Oh my gosh, I would faint. I would just, there's so many people are so intimidating. So I gave him one of these. <laughs> I was like, come on, hey, you, you can do it. And so then in my, I'd forgotten that, but then I, it's one of those things that I kind of remembered. So in my, it's not like we talked about it a lot, but in my ordination sermon, many, many years later, and now I'm 26 years old, he's 56, he's preaching. He's about my age now and he's preaching. And he tells this story about, he says, if there's one thing I've learned in 30 years of being a pastor, it's that I'm better, much to my surprise, sometimes when I'm weak. It's not always when the sermons are just, boy, that was out of the park, you know, home run or, or when everything's clicking and everything's all together. He says, sometimes I've discovered that God can use me more when I'm not strong, but when I'm weak. And so then he looks at me <laughs> and he says, never forget that. And then he went, he gave me the, th you know. You gave me the fist. Mm. That's perfect. Mm. That's all I needed. That's satisfying. That's power. That, and that's what God gives to you, gentle yeah. podcast viewers and mm -hmm. listeners. It's God's power. It's not about us. Mm. It's us tapping into the power of God's Holy Spirit, the power of God's love. It can change the world. It can change you. It can change all of us. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, our time is up, uh, but thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you at Taste of Hope this weekend. Yeah. We'll see you at VBS before that. We'll see you at worship after that. Wherever you are, find a place where you can connect with the church and with the God of that church. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. God loves you more. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.